0: This interview was recorded on October 26, 2020. Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this episode of the Front Matter Podcast, I'll be interviewing Eric Hogart. Based in Vancouver, Eric is managing partner at eFocus Canada, a Canadian Microsoft partner developing products and solutions with Dynamics 365 Business Central, and he has been part of the uh, Microsoft Dynamics NAV community, or NAV community, since 1990, having worked on a wide array of systems and projects over the years. You can follow him on Twitter at eHogart, and that's E-H-O-U-G-A-A-R-D, and check out his website at hogart.com. Eric is the author of the LeanPub book, Microsoft Dynamics 365 Business Central Field Guide, a comprehensive companion book for implementing Microsoft Dynamics 365 Business Central for end users, super users, and administrators. In this interview, we're going to talk about Eric's background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience as a self-published author. So thank you, Eric, for being on the Front Matter podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I always like to start these interviews by asking people uh, to talk a little bit about their origin story. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, where you grew up and how you first became interested in computers and technology. Well, as, as soon as I've said a few words, you'll
1: realize that my accent is not a native English, so I'm, I'm actually Danish. Um, and. Been living in Canada for the last six plus years, um, but yeah, grew up in Denmark and uh, started playing with computers from when I was, a, you know, I was a kid and got into programming quite early because my dad chose to get. This is the early eighties. I'm old. Uh, my dad used to get uh, one of the first PCs, IBM PCs that came around, and uh, of course, I wanted to. Play games like any other kid, um, and and there were a few games on on the PC. Now you have, we had King's Quest, we have Frogger, we had the very first flight simulator. Now, recently uh, the new version is out, but the very first one. But other than that, there weren't really that many games for the PC. But it has it had a uh, a basic interpreter, so. I started learning basics, so I could write the games I wanted to play, um, and and that
0: well, it took on to the life of it itself, I guess. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Do you do you remember the, the this? I've asked this question of many people, and they they you know it's, you know everyone has their own timeline. What what do you remember the model of the computer? So this was the, uh, the IBM uh, 5150 with 256
1: kilobytes of RAM, two floppy drives, uh, the CTI uh, four-color uh, monitor, and the IBM Pro printer, which was a rebatched uh, Epson FX80 printer. So
0: yeah, oh. I do remember. <laughs> I, I was, uh... <laughs> Happy to hear you bring up uh, King's Quest. That made me very nostalgic. I don't know if, if everyone... It was, an, it was an awesome game. It was. And um, uh, it's interesting. You know, I'm still kind of traumatized from those days when you, could, you, you had, like, the true death, you know, in games where if you died, you know, it was kind of over. Um, yeah. you, could, you could lose progress, you know, if the power went out or something like that. Um, uh, I still remember the... I think the very first King's Quest game I played was just, like, gold-colored. Like, there were no... It wasn't multicolored, so it it was out on many platforms. Uh,
1: uh, yeah. I think the one I played was that was CTA, so four colors. Right. But, okay. Uh, okay. Very limited. The, still.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not. Not to go down too much down this sort of like <laughs> nostalgic gaming path, but there was something I remember that from that game, which I believe was that there was a bug in the spelling of the name Stiltskin. So in order to get past a certain challenge, you had to spell Rumpelstiltskin backwards, but the game was actually, and at a certain version, the game had a bug in it where the name had been misspelled. So the only way to progress past that point was to actually recreate the bug. So... That name was a
1: way bigger challenge sitting in Denmark. I had no idea that any anyone was called that, so that that was that was the only place we had to cheat and this was before the internet, so it was kind of difficult to uh to find the cheat. I think it was in a magazine at some point
0: yeah, and actually speaking of magazines, so you said you started you started programming games and stuff yourself. did you just do it from scratch or did you did you go off? Programs that you found in magazines and things like that.
1: Um, I kind of just went at it. Uh, the mag I, I, and the magazines was actually great because at some point I figured out that if you if you sent in your program listings to them, they'll send a, the Danish equivalent of a hundred dollars back. So 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 I guess that was my probably my very very first uh, publishing uh, thing because. You, you wrote a small program, a uh, small game, and sent it to the magazine. They printed it and sent you money. So <laughs> that must have been really exciting. Yeah, no, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a great time in, uh, in IT at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, all times so propagate, but I, I had a lot of fun.
0: And um, uh, what was your first job in, uh, in IT? Um,
1: so... Well, you got time for a small story here i guess sure <laughs> <laughs> um so i was I was playing with my my p c at home and doing all sort of stuff on that and and then in 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 the Danish school system at that time when you're in grade nine, you can have a week as an intern in a company that's part of a grade nine thing we were part of that time so if uh Body of mine's dad was head of an IT department in a big company in, in a local town. And um, so I got like this intern job uh, uh, there to, to kind of help them with the PCs because that was a mainframe installation at the time and PCs were mostly for fun and the IT people didn't really consider PCs a real computer. so finally a school kid came in, and I could install stuff and I could keep those pcs running so after that week, they kind of offered me a job uh, after school job just helping out with the pcs, which I did all through high school um, and and then at the the end of high school um, i didn't really exactly know what I wanted to do and then one day the f- the phone rang and and this was a guy who said, Hey, Eric, that program you wrote for me, what was the language? And this was at this company, there was a guy who apparently, this is before a lot of things. So he, at, at a certain time he had for, you know, for a couple of months, he had to go into work every night at 10 to upload a file to a mainframe in order to run a process. I can't remember what it did. Uh, so I wrote a program for him that will automatically upload that file to the mainframe. Um, and apparently I told him that the language I did that in was Turbo Pascal at the time. So I answered him, yeah, that, was, that, was in, that was in Turbo Pascal. Uh, he said, ah, do you mind coming up for a job interview next week? So uh, yeah, why not? Um, and that turned out to be IBM at that point um, that had just announced a new ERP system, uh, enterprise resource planning. Yeah, accounting yeah. system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For 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 the sake of the story, called Navision. And and they needed somebody to, this was at a partner who were working with IBM that needed to integrate this new accounting system with a IBM point of sale system. And everything was Pascal anyway. So they needed to find somebody who could do Pascal. At at this time, this is in 1990, uh, Pascal was the language of Northern Europe. Uh, Turbo Pascal is actually a Danish product no, nope. very few people know this. Uh, and, uh, Anders Hasberg, who now did Delphi and did C Sharp, and now done TypeScript at Microsoft, is a Dane also. Okay. Uh, so Turbo Pascal was big. Everybody did Pascal uh, at that time. Um, so I kind of stepped into the the world of innovation, and innovation w- was at that point a IBM product, but not owned by IBM, and then it, they they became themselves, and and then twelve years later they got acquired by Microsoft, and and they were uh, Danish as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of stumble into everything because I used to program games on a, on a PC. <laughs>
0: That's a really great story. Thanks for sharing that. It's uh, it's interesting. I don't know if I've ever spoken to someone who got, you know, their first job in kind of grade 9 <laughs> in tech. Although I have spoken to people who did, you know, that like there there's a, it's um there's a refrain in the history of sort of, you know, it where people who get into it really early, like as teenagers, sometimes find, find themselves amongst adults who are like, you can actually do this. Um, and, 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 you know, get, get jobs where they're doing things that you just wouldn't expect a teenager to be doing.
1: No. So, so, so this was, you know, that was, that was a very, very specific time. The, uh, the, the late eighties where, where, in a lot of settings, PCs weren't still not considered um, serious. Uh, if if you were a, a enterprise of any kind, of course, you ran your business on a on a mainframe or a mini computer. You know, IBM. Uh, 3090 on AS400 or stuff like that because that's what you needed to run a big business. But then the PC sort of you know uh, slipped in and, and took over a lot of things and in, in 87 when IBM introduced the PS2s and Token Ring Network and all that kind of validated um, and, and at the same time that's actually the, the origin story for what we call Business Central today or a uh, Dynamics or Navision, same product, many names, is that at that time, because the introduction of Token Ring, uh, IBM wanted to sell a multi-user accounting system uh, in in Denmark to begin with and other places. But the only accounting systems IBM had on the shelf that would do multi-user were American. And American systems at that time could not do VAT, uh, only sales tax, and currencies was not really supported. You know, selling in one currency and buying in another, and and all that stuff, which was the situation in Europe, because every country had their own currency. So of course, a European accounting system would have to support multiple currencies. Uh, so they looked around and found a Danish company that had made a great product, single user, and asked them, hey, can you create a multi user version of this for us? And they did. And that is what we know today as, uh, as Dynamics
0: 365 Business Central. Um, but it started that way. That's really interesting. And so the multi-user aspect would be that you could kind of log into the same system with the same data from different terminals
1: so up until that point computers weren't networked so if if lots of companies smaller companies you had a accounting system it was just sitting on that single computer in, in accounting that's where you had your accounting system uh, and if you needed to work on on that you would walk to uh, to the accounting computer
0: and and, and do the work it's, uh, it's amazing how far we've come. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, so uh, did you ever study computer science formally? Yeah,
1: but at the University of Copenhagen, but I was too busy working. So I'm, I, I did some stuff and then I kind of completed it on
0: self-study on, on, the, on the subjects that uh, interested me the most. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. This, this subject comes up a lot, you know, because people have their own their own ways into into IT and tech. And um, so I always get asked various versions of the same question, but, you know, do you, do you wish you'd, if you were starting out now with the intention of having a career like the one that you've had, would you advise your younger, your now younger self to take a full four-year computer science degree or to take a path more like the one you took with all the many more resources available now? <sighs> It it's uh, that's really hard to
1: give a, a general advice. I think the general advice I would give my kids is stay in school, uh, but on the other hand, um, they need to study something that they have an interest in, that they're burning for, not not oh just because we have to. I, I think the uh, for me it has always been the uh, the desire to, to learn, the desire to figure stuff out, uh, the, the desire to build, that has been the driver. And if I needed to build a compiler, I need to figure out how to build a compiler. And uh, that's part of the university uh, uh, course. So, so, so that, that's a, a natural
0: thing to, uh, to go that way yeah thanks very much for sharing that we, we everyone has their has their own answer and um uh, it is it is interesting one of the things I've always found interesting asking that question is how seriously people take it uh because it is so important um to think about that and you know some people are like school was a waste of time I wish I'd never done it other people are like i regret not having done it uh but everyone everyone has their own their own uh approach to that, but everyone takes it seriously um whether they accept it or reject it or not uh so the next question I'd like to ask you uh i I mentioned this before we started the interview, but one thing that we've started doing on the podcast is asking people about how the pandemic has affected them and what it's been like in the, in the place where they live. Um, you're the first person from Vancouver that we've had to, to talk about this since the pandemic started. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what your experience has been like with, you know, over the past few months in in Vancouver and how uh, everything has maybe affected you and your business professionally. So, British Columbia has had a uh, a
1: science-driven COVID response, which has been nice to see. Um, We closed down our office in mid-March, like everybody else. Uh, I went home to my my basement, and uh, I have been here ever since. Um, We actually... At some point, a couple months back, figure out that we're not going to get back to a shared office space anytime soon. So so we canceled our office lease and are now a work-from-home company until the world changes again. Um, Business was a bit shaky at the beginning. everybody's kind of looking out so what's gonna happen perhaps the idea of investing a lot of money in in IT uh, was not top of mind which I totally get Uh, but you know after a bit of time uh, from that perspective business is back to normal uh, and uh, and and well the changes that we'll have, we kind of have to rediscover how to work together now that everything is online. Uh, but it also, and, and and that's, I think that's fine. Uh, it's also interesting to, to figure out that customers are also learning that okay, we don't need to get Eric on site to have him help us. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, I used to travel a lot, uh, and of course I'm not traveling anymore, but in, in fact, looking at what has happened over the last six months, there's, there's a lot of traveling that didn't happen and was not
0: necessary because what we needed to do was accomplished anyway. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing that. So you, so you, you weren't working remotely beforehand. Um, no,
1: nope, no, we ha- we had a, a office downtown Vancouver in one of the office towers, and uh, shared office space with a couple of other companies. And, and the, that, as as management in a shared office space, again, this is we we talk about this a lot a lot up here with with kids and schools, the bubble management, how to figure out who to bubble with, and I. Can't ask my employees to uh, to go down and bubble with semi strangers and share uh, office
0: uh, facilities with them. Uh, it's not safe, um, and I don't want to do that. And uh, yeah, just uh, just a little bit generally about um, you know Vancouver. I you know I I haven't really left my neighborhood much in uh, here in Victoria. Um, I did I did actually finally leave the island to, for Thanksgiving to see a friend on Bowen Island, which is. Just off of Vancouver, um, and it was really interesting just to see like i hadn 't been out in amongst the world but in, in your neighborhood, you know where people wearing masks all the time and stuff like that, they certainly weren 't in mine
1: um, they are I, I live on on what is known as the uh, the north shore yeah. and uh, and in general that people are very well behaving and following the rules and so on um, and and we got uh, thankfully enough space so there's room to take a walk without, you know, standing in a line to, to get access to nature and stuff like that. So, so we're really fortunate
0: to be where we are in, in a time like this. Um, Speaking of where you are, actually, before we move on to talk into the next part of the podcast and talk about your book, um, I actually wanted to ask you what, what uh, led to you to move to Canada?
1: Adventure, um, so, yeah. So the 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 the, the semi short story is that my wife and I um, back in the late nineties lived a year in Florida, and, and and that was fun. And we knew we knew we wanted to go. We had to move back to Denmark, uh, but it has always been in, in the talk that hey, it could be fun to. To, to do something like that again and before the kids were too old because you cannot move teenagers across the, the globe. Uh, uh, so an opportunity came to to simply move my job from Denmark to here and set up a uh, bootstrap, uh, a, a North American office of the company I worked for at the time, um, also called eFocus, uh, but... Um, so So we did that as an adventure, but we we decided that what what we learned from the Florida uh, experience was that we should never do something like that with a designated move back date because then you're not really committing as you know to the local community and, and stuff like that. So we moved here end of discussion uh, and and adventure lasts until the next one starts um so so everybody's in, enjoying life in canada kids are enjoying the schools and uh, we are right next to the ski hills and we, right now we're just waiting for the
0: snow to uh, to, to come so we can start skiing again and
1: yeah
0: oh that's that's Go fantastic ahead. was it was it actually I'm, I'm curious was it easy to to move like to get all the paperwork and stuff like that
1: Uh, That's what the lawyers are for, right? But, but no, that wasn't easy. But, but this is not a podcast on, uh, on Canadian no. immigration law. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, it just, it just comes we up.
0: Could do, we could do an episode <laughs> on that. I have lots of input. But, uh. <laughs> no, it, it does come up from time to time because, I mean, particularly in the in the programming world, actually, people are often really mobile. And uh, so I've talked to people about immigrating to Canada, from Canada to other places and things like that. And yeah, when, when you have the benefit of lawyers, it does make sense.
1: Yeah, it, it's complicated. Uh, I had the, benefit of bringing a company in my in my my luggage uh, right. which makes everything much easier yeah.
0: um, but uh, yeah, uh, that's a too long a story. Yeah, no, no, that's 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 fine. That's fine. I just just to commiserate with people who've gone through it. They like to you know know that it's it's everybody who's moved has faced that challenge. Um, oh, yeah. uh, so you you've written a book, uh, Microsoft Dynamics three sixty five Business Central Field Guide. Uh, it's a it's quite the mouthful of a name, which you you actually invoked the name earlier. And the, the names of these things change over time, and you know particularly maybe at big companies like Microsoft, you end up with these long names. Um, but you know, we'll call it Business Central, like you do in your in your book. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what Business Central is, and and you, you've you've mentioned a little bit of its history. But if you could just talk a little bit about what 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 it is and how it's evolved over time. So 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 Business Central is a an accounting system,
1: uh, which is not. Uh, no longer the, the proper way of describing such a piece of software. It's an ERP system, uh, which makes no sense either because nobody really understands what that actually means. And if you understand what it means, then it's enterprise resource planning. And that's not really accounting. That's something else. But anyway, it's an accounting system. It will do your 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 general ledger, it will do your AR, your AP, your inventory, your warehousing, your job costing, and and so on. Everything a mid-sized company needs from a management software perspective to handle your money, your inventory, your ongoing work, and all, all, all that. Business Central is the current name. It used to be... Uh, and, and the naming stuff gets complicated so Microsoft decided when back in 2002 when they purchased two companies in Denmark actually one company in Denmark and, and the Great Plains company from, from, from Farco, they decided to and they had a CRM system in the works they decided that all the business software should be called Dynamics so it's like you know, so you're just using Dynamics and then some different uh, ways of describing Dynamics something, depending on which flavor it is. So Navision was the product name at the time when they purchased, so that became Dynamics NAV. Uh, And then when it moved into the cloud to be a true SaaS cloud offering, uh, all Dynamics products that are in the cloud are called 365. And then to... (laughs) To so separate it from the on-prem version uh, and to indicate that it's, it's something new, it changed to be called uh, Business Central. Uh, and, and we kind of like that name. It's, 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 it, it works well for the product, uh, but it's a long name. Uh, but it, it, there were version of it uh, at some point in the time
0: that was actually longer, so, so we kind of like it now. And it can handle. Um, I mean, I, I, as I gather, it's for small to mid-sized companies. What, what under that sort of definition? What's a mid-sized company like a hundred people? So, uh,
1: I think it's actually easier to describe what it doesn't do. It, okay. It's not a a enterprise product, meaning that you would not use this to run Walmart. You would not use this to uh, to to run. Very, very big corporations um, and and the definition of enterprise is also difficult. I think in Canada, uh, Microsoft has actually labeled that there are eight hundred companies that are enterprise companies if you 're not among those eight hundred you 're small to mid size okay. uh, so huge corporations are are still in in this bracket. Um, I have done in in denmark done worked with some of the biggest corporations in Denmark using Navision and and, and Dynamics. Uh, Banks are using it and so on. So it's really a... uh, Sometimes Microsoft has the need to put things in boxes uh, and they have multiple ERP offerings. So what they have put one product in the, the enterprise box and then
0: they're putting Business Central in the not enterprise box. (laughs) <laughs> and it, And it used to be as I gather uh, that you kind of needed someone to hire someone to set it up for you at your company so you'd hire consultants to set it up but that's not entirely true anymore
1: so so the, 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 and then basically now you're on the way into the premise of of the book uh, meaning that you get business central you used to only be able to get business central from a or getting dynamics nav from a partner network. Uh, uh, meaning that that a company has become a business central partner at Microsoft and has all the the knowledge and the, the setup for doing that. And that that's that's was the only places you could get it. But now business central is just another off cloud offering from microsoft so so you can get it through any outlet that will sell your Microsoft cloud product um, so all the added value all the um, the knowledge that you that's usually there when you you would buy a product like this it, it doesn't exist necessarily. I still suggest oh, I people to go to a, a partner with experience, but you can get it from any outlet who sells Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and the, the, basically the whole idea behind the book is if you go out and get the system, uh, you will need some kind of guide to help you. Uh, not, not a read from start on page one and then read until you're done on page 400, uh, but more like, you know, okay, let me look, look that up and see what's that about if I need to do job costing or how do I handle backups or stuff like that. So, so the, the, the idea behind the book is, is to be a companion
0: uh, when you walk into a, a in implementing Business Central. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I hadn't quite put that together, but since given given the history of the way the product was sold and maintained, there wasn't a lot of documentation out there uh, for people to in, that people could independently access. In,
1: no, in, no, in, in no one, knowledge. One knowledge was uh, within, uh, within wallet gardens, where
0: right it was, it was kept and and, and nurtured. Um, Oh well, that's that's really fascinating. That's yeah. That's uh, some of the some of our best selling books are, are books where somebody saw, you know, uh, there's something missing that people really need, uh, and you know, if you have that knowledge, then that can be really valuable. I mean, you know, both yourself and to other people to, to to provide that. And and when you when you really meet people's needs, you know, that's when you know you've got a good book.
1: Well, so the content of the book is kind of you know questions I've gotten so let's. Let's put that in the book. Uh, so we have a, uh, a saying in the company that, hey, it's in the book, just go find it uh, when people are asking something. Uh, but but the, the idea is basically whenever I, you know, oh, that's a good trick or that's something that should be,
0: be, be known, I, I, I add it to the book. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much. Actually, that gives me great opportunity to segue to the last part of the interview. We were talking about, you know, your experience as a self-published author and things like that. And you, you, you talk on your, on your book landing page about how it's going to be updated over time. And, you know, in many ways, that's like the canonical lean pub type book, right, is one that can be updated because the technology that it's about can be updated and change over time. Um, And you, and you mentioned just now that you actually, you, 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 you ask people for feedback and questions and stuff like that. How do you, how do you, How do you manage that feedback so you ask you you know you put your web your email address and your twitter out there on the book landing page and in the introduction or in the beginning of the book and things like that how do you manage those communications is it just kind of ad hoc you know people email you and you just add it to the book and publish a new version so so there is a new version of the software every six
1: months so so Microsoft is releasing a new major version every six months. They're releasing a min- minor version every month. Uh, so, so the software is constantly developing. Uh, and, and that was kind of... So I got totally inspired by one of your other books, uh, Paul Turot's uh, Windows oh, 10. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the field Windows guide.
0: 10 field guide,
1: yeah. Uh, and... and uh, the the fact that you know he Microsoft's coming up with a new version of Windows ten all the time, so he's updating a book and 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 i said that that's actually a great uh, great way of doing it um but but uh, so so that was i had that windows 10 book in the back of my mind, and then at some point uh one of your not really your competitor, but a traditional publishing house uh, called me up and said, hey, Eric, we really love what what you're doing on your blog and, and all that stuff. How about writing a programming book about Business Central for us? And I said, oh, mm, not not that convinced because they already published five of them, so I'm not sure that why you need another one. Um, and and their, the offer they made was ridiculous uh, from a monetary perspective. That was, I say, no, that's, I'm never going to do that. But then that kind of struck me and I'm saying, okay, but if I were to write a book about Business Central, what kind of book would that be? And certainly not a programming book, even though that's what I do. That's my my main area of expertise. But... What book is missing out there? And then that kind of turned into it's the field guide. that means is the book that will help users uh, get to this system, uh, perhaps without a partner, perhaps with a partner. Um, and 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 that at some point in my brain met with the uh, uh, Paul when uh, Windows Ten field guide and said. That's it. So I looked up Lean Pop, and uh, that seemed fairly easy. So uh, I I started writing. Well,
0: I hope it turned out to be fairly easy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um the, the, you 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 got your own set of uh, quirks in in the in the markdown uh s- stuff that it takes a bit of time to uh to figure out what's possible, what's not possible. Um I, I do love so so uh we didn't really talk about that, but but since covid, uh, I'm not doing talks at conferences and all that. Of course, because there aren't any. Uh, so I thought I'll 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 start a YouTube channel and have been doing that a lot uh, since then. And the process of being uh, I I like creating content, but I I do not enjoy editing. Uh, I do not enjoy pixel pushing and all that stuff um and and i think so so with, with the youtube channel i went with a, a sort of live approach using ops and the fact with with the book and lean that i just i just create content i don't necessarily sit in in in, in and move stuff around and stuff like that i i create the content and then lean Pop creates a good enough looking book for me I think that's, uh, my wife, who's an architect and, and really obsessed with, you know, has to be correct and look nice, had a hard time accepting what LeanPub created, but, but then I asked her if she wanted to edit 400 pages of uh, stuff and she said no. Um, so I created a piece of, because this is me, so I created a piece of software that when I, when I, I do a, a screen grab, um, and, and and I paste that into Markdown in uh, Visual Studio Code. Then I have a creator program that grabs that screen grab and formats it into the right size and, and put a nice little shadow around it and stuff like that. So all screenshot looks the same, even though they're not the same size. Um, so so it's, it's kind of automated. So if I need to add something... You know, uh, that's a good one. I, I'll find the chapter, do the uh, bracket, T bracket for adding a tip and grabbing a screenshot, write the two paragraph and add, paste the screenshot
0: in and then uh, push to GitHub and, and I'm done. Oh, thanks very much for sharing that. Actually, hearing about people's processes is, um, is uh Always really fun, and um, you know, for people who are thinking about writing books, you know, to learn about how like people who've successfully done it, their little their their tips and tricks can actually really save you a lot of time and make your book a lot better. On the subject of formatting, um, that's the that could be the subject of an entire, <laughs> an entire podcast, yeah, <laughs> uh, or a podcast series even. I mean, because it's part of the history of publishing and what the introduction of the ebook has meant. Um, so, for example, if you want your book to be available in EPUB and Mobi. You just have to give up on the idea yeah. of, of formatting control because people can change the font size, they can change the font, they can kind of do whatever they want, and so um, and and particularly because Leanpub is you know in progress publishing, although you know making books look better on Leanpub is a hugely important thing for us in the future at some point, but you know just good enough is good enough and uh you know one of our jokes is that until your book is done formatting is procrastination um and we we learned that like we know that from our own proclivities right you're sitting there working on your book and then you're like oh let me get the formatting perfect and then hours go by and you haven't written a word
1: yeah and 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 the problem with in case my book that's covering a ever-moving target is that the book is never done uh, so, so the concept of people buying it once and then be able to uh, download updates
0: is, is really cool. Um, and you do, you do have a print version out on Amazon. Um, and by the yeah. way, I'll make sure to link to that and to your YouTube channel, which I should have mentioned in the introduction. Uh, but no problem. how do you, how do you maintain the print version? So
1: the, the the print version i i just use your uh, export to to print um the the grayscales that you create are not the greatest uh no sorry so so you export with the colors and then when when that's, so when Amazon is importing that and converting into grayscales. It's, their grayscale conversion is lousy. So I actually go through a loop of printing to black and white before I upload to Amazon. Oh, OK. Uh, because that makes the grayscales better. OK, OK. Um, but that's the only thing. So I, t- I take that PDF and print it to PDF and upload that PDF to, uh, to Amazon and be done oh. with it. And and how
0: often do you do that?
1: Um, well, now the book in reality is probably updated every three
0: months. So every three months. Okay, okay, okay. Well, thanks very much for that. Um, uh, the last question I always like to ask on these uh, episodes is: um, if there was one thing we could, one feature we could build for you, or one bug we could fix for you, can you think of anything you would ask us to do?
1: Um well, going back to the uh, people can download forever. Uh, at, at some point, I think it would be, be lovely to have you know like people could download for three years. Like if, if this, my plan with this book is that I'll continue to update it uh because Microsoft is continuing to update the product um so at some point uh <laughs> Should people get five years of free
0: downloads or should they only get three years of free download or stuff like that? Um, yeah, thanks very much for sharing that. The, the, the one, thing, one thing I would say is we do have a sort of new edition feature. So when you create a book, you can go into the sort of admin tools for the book and you can say, this is a new edition of a previous book. And then if someone goes to the landing page for the old book, they'll see there's a new edition click here to go there, and so the way the way people use LeanPub to, i think to achieve what i think you 're trying to get at is after a few years, they just create you know it, yeah, it, but, 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 two point and then people can people can go buy that one
1: yeah, but that doesn 't really support the con- continuation well, I, what I would love is that like let 's say two years or three years or something like a period for, From the moment you buy that 's when you can get the free updates. After that, you need to you know buy an extension or buy a new version or, or stuff like that but it doesn 't really work if I put out a new edition that the people who bought the old edition last
0: week cannot get the new stuff yeah it's not the same they, w- they would have to have a new book in their lean. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that kind of thing I mean you know it's, it's you know one thing we might have at some point it 's something if we get really you know uh, if we have our own app again and stuff like that is you know just sort of have the book update without having to download an entirely new copy, which is actually the way it works now so there this issue of continuity um, is is something that we have a lot mm. to work on, and um, uh, yeah thanks I think you 're the first person who 's ever ever suggested that. Um, on, on the podcast, but we'll definitely, I'll definitely communicate that to the team because that's, that's really interesting. Um, well, uh, Eric, uh, thank you very much for taking some time out of a beautiful Vancouver afternoon to, oh, yeah. to talk to us here. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for lean, using LeanPub as the platform for your book. Oh, thank you for creating it. I have had a lot of fun uh,
1: using it. So, so no, no complaints about the platform. It,
0: uh, it works tremendously well. Thank you very much.